Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wood image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to our consideration of it this morning. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we look at God's word and as we look at the Chronicles and as we look at Kings, one of the things we see throughout these, uh, these histories is that God lays out a level by which God says, this king did good, this king did evil. And there are different levels of the evil which is done by the different kings throughout the history of Israel and Judah. Notice the standard in the early parts of the chapter was Jeroboam. And the sins by which he made Israel sin. Notice that. Rulers have an effect on the people of their lands. That they cause people to do evil. Sadly, we can see these things going on in our own land. And yet, at that same time, kings and rulers can do good and cause good things to happen in their lands. We have to see that, and we have to pray for, and we have to seek to have and become Christian leaders so that we can rule and govern a nation for good things. But notice, we get a new standard by the end of this chapter. Ahab becomes the standard for evil that is below Jeroboam. And so we have, as I said, this race to the bottom. And as we look at these kings, we see the people of Israel grasping. As people reject God, their lives become ruled by earthly power and by fear. Such a beautiful thing as Christians... Do we need to fear earthly power? We talked about it this morning in Sunday school that we are called to be subject to the governing authorities. But do we need to have fear of them? Even when they're evil and do terrible things. No, we can trust God that God will judge. And we see that laid out before us in our chapter this morning. But also we see people grasping for earthly power, don't we? And we see that again going on in our own culture today. And we need to understand who has true and real power. Why do we not need to fear earthly power? Because first of all, God's in control. And He is working all things out for the good of His people, the good and the glory of His holy name. We can take that to the bank more firmly than we can trust in the ground underneath our feet. Heaven and earth will pass away. The ground will go away. God's word will not change. And so as we look at this passage, we look first of all in verses 1 through 7 at God's judgment on Baasha. Then in verses 8 through 28, we look at Elah and then Zemri and then Omri seizing power. 
And then in verses 29 through 34, we see Ahab setting a greater standard of evil for God's or for Israel's kings. And who's in control of all this? God is. And so as we look at things going on, do we, who's in control? God is. And we can be certain of that. Yes, we may weep, and I think we rightly should. But at the same time, we need to understand and we need to trust God and we need to um, seek that righteous and good things would be done, not the wickedness that's going on. So first of all, as God's people, as people reject God, their lives become ruled by earthly power and fear. First of all, God's judgment on Baasha. Notice that he has the same judgment as Jeroboam. That he is making Israel sin. He says, I, which is God, verse 2, lifted you out of the dust to be ruler over my people Israel. Who's in control of who's ruling the nation? God is, finally. Yet you have walked in the ways of Jeroboam and made my people sin to provoke me to anger with their sins. And so he says, I'm going to take away the posterity of Baasha. Take away his house. Who is, of course, the son of Jehu, who is the one who brought judgment on Jeroboam. And we see how that judgment is going to happen. The dogs will eat whoever belongs to Baasha who dies in the city. The birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the fields. Exactly the same judgment as was on Jeroboam, which Jehu had fulfilled. Notice that God judges those he uses to judge. God has a perfect standard. Jehu, of course, destroyed everybody. We have to understand that God requires a just judgment, and God is the perfect judge. And so Baasha is judged, as we read verses 6 and 7. So Baasha rested with his fathers and was buried in Tirzah. Then Elah his son reigned in his place. Also by the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Jehu the son of Hanani against Baasha his son because of all the evil he did in the sight of the Lord. Again, we're racing to the bottom. The word of the Lord came. Even when God promises power, and he does that, think about David. What happened? Again and again, David was offered the opportunity to seize power. He said, I'm not going to touch him. I'm going to trust God. Can we trust God in situations where we don't understand what's going on? Yeah, we can. Even when we have the power to, the ability to grasp that power, can we trust God in that? There's an awful lot of times when we feel powerless. But guess what happened historically? Think about after Christ came into the world and after he had gone to heaven, it took a good 300 years, but Christianity overcame the Roman Empire. Was that because they marched into Rome with the Christian flag or whatever it is? <laughs> How do we conquer as Christians? Not by marching in with swords, 
with guns and tanks. We overcome as Christians with the gospel, with love. We as Americans want to come in and destroy them. The beauty of Christianity is what happens when we conquer an enemy. It's not that they're dead. They become our brother in Christ. Become a friend. And so Baasha continues in the evil. Because he killed them. Notice what we see there at the end of verse 7. Provoking him to anger with the work of his hands and in being like the house of Jeroboam and because he killed them. He took justice into his own hands. We as Americans want to do that. We want to be the judge, jury, and executioner. What do you see on all of these movies? You destroy the enemy. You know, what the old westerns, they brought them in for justice. Most of the, well, sometimes they just shot them. But there was times when they brought them in for justice, right? And we need to seek justice, not seeking to destroy whoever happens to be the enemy. And it comes back to the whole problem which we have in our culture today of ad hominem. We fight the people. We say, this guy's an idiot, that guy's unworthy, this, that, the other thing, instead of actually discussing the problems that are going on. And that's important for us as Christians, that we actually deal with truth rather than just attacking the person. And it goes back, attacking the person is just murder. Go back to the, um, what the catechism says about thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit a murder. And so Elah and Zemri and Omri seize power. God will judge. And yet, what do people on earth do? i got to run this my way. I'm going to win. I'm going to do it. So Zimri conspires against Elah. That's a military coup. In the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, the son of Baasha, became king over Israel and reigned two years in Tirzah. Now his servant Zimri, commander of his chariots, conspired against him as he was in Tirzah, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, steward of his house in Tirzah. Now, we see this ruler getting drunk and not directing his country. Getting drunk and dealing with the troubles, the the problems going on in Israel as king. Believe me, you look at the people in the state house and in Washington and stuff, they don't have answers to all our problems. They're just grasping at straws because people are trusting in these people rather than God. And guess what? Look at what happens to people when they think that they run the world. They can't. And so Zimri, or his servant Zimri, commander of his chariots, conspired against him. But they, he is there getting drunk Dealing, quote, unquote, from a human perspective with his trials, 
And in Christ, we can face the trials. As Christians, we can look at a world that's broken and live under persecution, under trials, and say, God's good, good enough for me. God's grace is good enough for me. God's eternity, which he has given to us as Christians, is good enough for me. Instead of grasping, instead of lashing out, And Zimri went in while he was drunk and struck and killed him in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah. Notice, Asa's reign becomes the timeline that we have here. And he establishes himself by evil. Even when he is fulfilling God's judgment, he establishes himself by evil. Zimri not only killed Elah, but all his friends, all of his relatives. We have to understand that God says the person whose sins shall bear, not his family, not his friends. And Zimri destroyed the household of Baasha. We read verse 12, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Baasha by Jehu the prophet. Yes, this was judgment on Baasha's sins, but God is the final judge, not we. Remember what Romans 12 says, Romans 12, 9, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Which is quoting from Deuteronomy 32, 35. Now notice, there is a judicial aspect by which the punishment of sin is good and right. But it is not ours as human beings. It is a state duty. The writer to Romans, I mean, Paul writing to Romans tells us that the government does not bear the sword in vain, that he is there to even bring about judgment, even capital punishment, when necessary, on sinners. And that's good. That is the place. And we get this all mixed up because we think that the the court ought to have mercy. The church is the place for mercy. The church is the place for grace. And we're called to have that. And we as human beings, individuals and families are called to have mercy. But we also have to understand that the The government, the justice system, is supposed to not have mercy. The judgment of the court system is supposed to be according to the rule of law. And so we have these kings establishing themselves by evil. And what happens next? Another grasp at power. Zimri is now overthrown by Omri. Zimri had reigned in tears of seven days. The people who were encamped at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, they heard it, said Zimri has conspired and also has killed the king. So all Israel made Omri the commander of the army king over Israel that day in the camp. They did not believe that he was the rightful ruler and should not rule. He had ruled for a week. And yet, what do we read? He was judged for his sins just in those seven days. 
They besieged Tirzah. And Zimri commits suicide. It happened when Zimri saw that the city was taken, he went into the citadel of the king's house and burned the king's house down upon himself with fire, and he died. As people work to forget about God, they live in evil, their hope becomes replaced by fear. If we don't know who is Lord of the universe, our lives become meaningless, trying to serve ourselves. The number one religion in the United States is that we serve ourselves. Our God is ourselves. Remember, their God is their belly. Look at our culture. I've got to have this. I've got to have that. Me, 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 me. If we do not know who the Lord of the universe is, our loves, our lives become meaningless. It's so beautiful. God gives us purpose in our lives to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, to live in obedience to Him. And as people serve themselves, what do they end up doing? Well, my standard of righteousness means I can do all sorts of nasty things to you, right? Because I become the measure. And we continue downhill, don't we? Omri sets another standard of evil. Omri prevails to become king. First of all, they have two kings. The kingdom of Israel were divided. Verse 21, half of the people followed Tibni, the son of Ganath, to make him king. The other half followed Omri. Now, we're not really given much information in light of the other situations in this passage. It would not be surprising if he were murdered. But the people who followed Omri prevailed over the people who followed Tibni, the son of Ganath. So Tibni died and Omri reigned. And we're told now in the 31st year of Asa, Omri became king over Israel and reigned 12 years. And Omri leads Israel even further away from God. They moved the capital of Israel again. The previous capital had been besieged and destroyed. So it was time for a new capital. And Omri did evil in the sight eyes of the Lord, verse 25, and did worse than all who were before him. Again, we're told that he was worse than those before him. The race to the bottom, and we haven't reached bottom yet. And God even gives opportunity for Ahab to repent with Elijah. Remember that. Ahab, this rotten king of Israel, God gives him opportunity to repent. God is so gracious and again and again does that. And brothers and sisters, we in our own lives, as we live in this world and we fail, We need to remember and see how often God gives us opportunities to repent. When God makes it hard, doesn't necessarily mean, doesn't always mean we're in sin, but is an opportunity to reflect on that. And to think about, well, am I doing something that is wrong, that is bringing God's judgment? And as we look at our nation and things get troubling, 
I think there's a direct connection to some of the evil that we have been doing for years. There's enough innocent um, infant blood on this nation for God to judge us, no question. I pray that God would not judge us. I pray that God would send repentance. Brothers and sisters, we need to acknowledge that God has every right to judge us. And we have to be careful that we seek to stand in the way of the race to the bottom in our own country. That we would seek to bring the gospel. How do we turn this nation around? The gospel. Not with, let's elect the right guy. What does the Bible say about princes and kings? They're they're not going to help us. But God can change their hearts. And God can put in the people He wants. And He does, certainly, with the judgment. But He can also put in people who will be those who seek righteousness. And that's what we need. And yet, where does it go in Israel? We arrive at Ahab. Ahab reigns over Israel. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab the son of Omri became king over Israel. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. And we've heard this refrain before. Now Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. We have verse 31 added on top of that, don't we? And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now remember, Jeroboam had set up the idols, the two calves, and those calves were to represent God, and they became objects of worship because Jeroboam was afraid that the Israelites would go back to Jerusalem and worship there, and be brought back under the um, rulership of the, of the southern tribes. And Jeroboam led them away from God. He made priests of anybody who wanted to. We had an exam for a minister at classes meeting. We examined him for four hours. Praise the Lord for that. It's hard to do. I remember it well. Brothers and sisters, that's important. Who is preaching the Word of God to us? Who is teaching us? And so it was a trivial thing. What do we see here? First of all, he married the daughter of the king of the Sidonians. He served and worshipped Baal, the um, false god. And we... We get confused, I think. We think religions are like Christianity where, there are, where there's good things in it. And Baal was full of just horrific things. And then he built a pillar, a wooden image, verse 33. He put an altar for Baal in the temple, but that wooden image is an obscene image. We live in a culture full of pornography full of horrific things. 
It's the same junk as Baal worship. We have to understand that. And brothers and sisters, we have to stand against it. We need to bring the gospel to these people. We've got to understand that. When we think of these are problems, those are problems, oh, the horror. They need the gospel. They need something to serve. The right thing to serve. Instead of running after this junk and self-worship. And we see the pathway downhill in this passage. They need Christ. We need Christ. And we need to shine the light of Christ into all parts of our lives. So when we hear the wooded images or the Asherah poles or things like that, we have to have that in our mind. That's not just some nice, here's a nice tree. It's an obscene sexual image. And it's not far from the things going on in our own culture. Continuing reading there, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than any than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And yet, what did we say about God's relationship to Ahab? And we're going to see that as we look at Elijah dealing with Ahab, right? What is Elijah there to do? Call Ahab. And Ahab has opportunities in places where he almost gets it. Brothers and sisters, God can change the hardest heart. It's not our ability. It's not our rhetoric. It's not our having the right arguments and being the perfect person to talk. It's the power of God's Holy Spirit that changes the hearts. And he can do that. And he does do that. Remember the Great Commission. What? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has all power, all authority. The Holy Spirit of God can change the heart of the hardest person. What did we hear in our call to worship? All the nations of the world. And as we look at this passage, at this race to the bottom, and my heart aches as I watch it, because these are the people of God, and Israel struggles deeply with this. How can God let us be sent into captivity and into problems? We're God's people. The problem was they were living just as bad as the rest of the world around them. In fact, worse. And we need to realize that ourselves. We need to live in obedience and in thanksgiving to God. And we read here a little snippet. We have an example of the evils that went on. In his day, verse 34, Heal of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundations with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates. According to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun, going directly against God's injunction in Joshua 6.26. 
Then Joshua charged them that day, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundations with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. And he received the penalty that God had promised. His youngest, his eldest sons died. They were going directly against God's word. Now we have to think about this briefly. You have to understand that Jericho was a key defense city for the land of Canaan. It was the protection of the land of Canaan. It was the crossing area for the Jordan. That God required Israel not to build there meant that they had to trust God for protection. But because they lived in fear, because they had turned away from God, they couldn't trust him. And they had to build that city at no matter the cost. And brothers and sisters, as we live in this world, do we trust God to provide the protection, to provide the life for us? Or do we trust our own strength? our own military, our own country. Some say that every passage of Scripture teaches us directly about Jesus. I don't really believe that fully. They point us to Jesus. This passage teaches us directly about God, about his world, and about his grace. We learn of God's grace even in the midst of evil king after evil king. Because of his choice of Israel, God didn't just cast them off into judgment. But at the same time here, we also learn of God's judgment. Judgment on those who rule. Judgment against sinners. And we see by shadow the wonder of God's wondrous grace in Jesus Christ. That God's judgment isn't against us. Do we deserve His grace? Obviously not. We need to have patience. We need to trust in God. Not in our own abilities. Not in evil that good may come. And I want to turn and read. I noted Psalm 2. I actually wanted to read it at the beginning, but it fits well here too. If you happen to have in your Bibles, turn with me and read that. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure, Uh, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him.
the nations rage. The peoples of the earth plot a vain thing. He who sits in the heavens laughs at him. And God will judge. So what should we do individually? What should we as a nation do? Serve the Lord with fear. Seems like a long way. But God can do that. And we should be praying for that. And we should be working toward that. But brothers and sisters, we ourselves in our lives need to seek to trust God. Notice how it ends. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. When His wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. Amen. Shall we pray? Let us rise for our prayer. And we'll close this prayer with the Lord's Prayer together. Shall we pray? Almighty, gracious, heavenly Father, we thank you that you stand as judge over the nations. We thank you that you are so awesomely gracious, even as we see that you send your gospel to Ahab the opportunity to turn from his sins, from his errors. We thank you that you have had your grace toward us. We deserve far the opposite, that you have brought your gospel to us. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us to trust in you in everything that goes on. We pray, Lord, that you would bless this nation with repentance. We pray, Lord, use us to that end. Help us to be effective. You are the one who is all-powerful, all-able. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would spread your gospel here across this nation and to the ends of the earth. And we look forward to the day in which all of the world will be brought under the perfect sway of our Savior. We thank you that he is ruler over all and working all things together. But we look forward to the day in which we shall see that fully in his return. We pray, O oh Lord, to that end, not that we would first of all run after authority on this earth, but rather that we would send forth your gospel. We pray, send forth your gospel here. Open it to our hearts. Use us to bring that gospel into our community and from there to the ends of the earth. We pray, Lord, that all of this would be to the glory and the honor of our awesome Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name, praying as he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.